So what is causing the rise in the number of LGBTQ Christians, and does it signal something more important that deserves our attention? We'll see the dangerous thing that we're talking about there running through all of our headlines today as we look at the brand new press secretary. We look at DeSantis, who's now pushing back against protesters protesting outside of people's homes. And then we'll also look at Dan Crenshaw, who is being called a traitor. We'll finally take a look and see if there's anything to that. And then we'll also round out the show today with looking at a mysterious 2,000-year-old city that was found underground in Turkey that was built by Christians. What secret lurks inside? We'll talk about all that and more all on IndieThinker. Hey, thanks for watching the show today. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. I at least try to, every single show, to attempt to bring solid content uh, to you that can be helpful to you. I think it's important to stay informed. I be believe information is power, so that's what we try to achieve here. Uh, I'll have my thoughts on, on some of these things, and you may disagree, but that's one of the things, the beautiful things that makes the world go around, is that we get to kind of discuss these things and hear a perspective that perhaps you may not be able to hear on the regular. Um, at least I try to make that as thoughtful as possible for each and every one of you, so if you appreciate that, please do us a huge favor. And, and like, share, um, and comment, and then subscribe if you haven't done that already. What are you waiting for? All right, so um, as I kind of open the show today, I, I just want to mention something that I saw not too long ago is that uh, there's a new show, uh, a new movie about the Jim Baker and Tammy Faye Baker story and kind of the scandal there and what they did. Uh, so before I jump into too much of an explanation of why I'm opening the show this way today, I'll let you see just kind of a snippet of the trailer here. Tammy Faye, what'd you do? Hello, Mother. This is Jim Baker, my husband. <laughs> it's all part of our mission to help people. Anyone who's hurting or they feel like they've been left out, God has a plan for us. What'd he tell you to do this time? Jesus keeps a ticking me higher and higher. Jim will preach and I'll sing. Higher and higher. God does not want us to be poor. Dr. Fowler, a pleasure. Now God has a voice in this fight. Who's he fighting? Liberal agenda, homosexual agenda. Faith isn't political. You can't talk to him like that. Jerry Falwell is a powerful man, Tammy Faye. She's a firecracker, Jim. <laughs> If everyone watching could double their pledge just for one month, God loves you. He really does. We're not doing anything wrong, though. Is that a question? Tammy and I are undergoing the most vicious attacks. Serving God don't feel like it should be a money-making opportunity. You know, when I saw that clipping with my face on it, I thought for a second that you were proud of me. Oh, Tammy Faye, you follow blindly. In the end, all you are is blind. So for those of you who don't know, Jim Baker was a televangelist, kind of one of the most prominent televangelists of his time, and of course had a huge uh, financial scandal that scarred his ministry and put him in prison. The reason I wanted to share that trailer with you is because it kind of looks like an interesting movie. I like movies like this that kind of are historical, biographical kind of films. Um, I haven't seen it yet, but I want to see it. But more importantly, I, I'm familiar with a story that I think will kind of set the precedent for what we're going to be talking about today. So Jim Baker, when he was placed in prison for what he did, um, had a, a visitor show up one day at the, at the penitentiary he was at. 
he was cleaning the bathroom stalls. He was covered in water and coveralls. And a guard came in and said, hey, there's somebody here to see you. And uh, Jim Baker said, I don't want to see anybody. You know, I'm, 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 I'm kind of done and scarred from everything that just took place and disappointed. And I don't want to hear probably another person that has to tell me how disappointed they are in me. So I don't want to see him. And the guard said, you want to see this person? And he said, no, I'm, look at me. I'm covered in water, cleaning toilets. I don't want to see anybody. And the guard said, trust me, you want to see this person. So Jim Baker said, fine, I'll see this person for just a moment, but I'm not changing or anything like that. I'm just going like this. And so he walked out. Uh, to the place where the visitor was, and there at the table he saw Billy and Ruth Graham sitting at the table. So you have this juxtaposition, right? You have probably one of the most hated uh, Christian evangelists of the time with one of the most admired Christian evangelists at the time. And he said in, in, in his book about this instance and about his life, he said that Billy Graham got up from the table, and, and those of you who know, or maybe don't, Billy Graham was a very, very tall man. Um, and he got up from the table, went over to Jim Baker, and gave him a huge hug. And the moment that Billy Graham gave him a hug, Jim Baker just broke down crying. And the reason I share that story with you is because I want that idea of this Christian man hugging this other man who has gone through one of the most difficult times in his life to, to kind of run through everything that we talk about today. Because the reality is, is that the power of love is one of the most beautiful, well, the power of love and forgiveness. Um, is one of the most beautiful things about Christianity, and it is what sets Christianity apart. I mean, you can compare all the major religions of the world, and you can distinctly set them apart in this one area, because you think about the karmic religions of the world. You know, you have to pay and pay and pay in this life and the next life until you finally get it right, and then you think the other major religions of the world outside of Christianity, how you're essentially told to make your righteous deeds outweigh your evil deeds, and good luck with that one. But that's not Christianity, and it is singular in this focus, in its focus on forgiveness, love, and grace. And it is what makes Christianity so exceptional among all things. But what happens when we're told that that love and forgiveness means something that the Bible never intended? So I want to try to help us sort through that, because I think we're being told very often today that love is something that it actually isn't. And we're going to dig into that as we go into the show. But before we do that, I want to make sure that you know that this show is sponsored by our friends over at Element Funding. So the Kevin Blair team is one of the great, stellar, phenomenal teams of Element Funding, and they can help you with all of your mortgage and uh, financial needs with getting a home or refinancing your current home. So I've told you time and time again about the customer service, about the importance of securing your family's future. Uh, the one thing I can tell you today about Kevin Blair and the Kevin Blair team that perhaps I haven't told you in the past is that Kevin Blair is also very tall, just like Billy Graham. Small world, I know, especially for tall guys. But um, you'll have to see that for yourself. The way that you can do that is by going to kevinblairteam.com today. And while you're there, you can fill out an application and you can get pre-approved for a home loan and then hopefully lock in a secure rate right now before they go up. And rates are going up. So make sure to go to kevinblairteam.com today to do that. And then when you do it, let them know that IndieThinker sent you. So as you guys all probably know, June is Pride Month and we're closing in on the month of June. So I have a question as we close in on that month. What is causing the rise of homosexuality in Christian slash religious communities specifically, but also across the board in society? What's causing the rise in that number of people who identify uh, in, in that way? 
Even if I myself was not a Christian, I'd still have some interest in that rapid rise, especially of transgenderism in society. So Christians have almost gotten used to seeing rainbow flags outside of their congregation, but now somehow seems oddly different. For instance, I can't help but feel like something has changed when not only do we get flags outside of churches, but assumedly Christian gay authors writing books for children about God. So in a past show, I mentioned a guy named Matthew Paul Turner who used to work for CCM, which is, if you don't know, a Christian music publication, uh, who came out as gay, separated from his family, and now writes books like I Am God's Dream. So there's a whole subgenre now in the world today. I mean, this is truly interesting. It's, it's different, right? There's a whole subgenre of books now out there for kids uh, written by gay Christian deconstructionists. So, I, I mean, I think it would be ignorant to say the least not to pay attention to this and not to ask, where is this coming from? So is it really just like perception, maybe? Is, it, is social media just making us think that, you know, the TikTok clips of the drag pastor calling out God as, as, as a trans being, is it really small, but that just makes it seem like it more than it is? But statistics will tell you that it probably is more common than you think. So according to Gallup, nearly 16,000 respondents polled in a survey said 47% of them said that they were either moderately or highly religious. So a new study by the Williams Institute at the UCLA School of Law found that an estimated 5.3 million LGBT people in the U.S. say that religion is important to them and attend religious services or both. So probably the question you're asking then is what does that religious makeup look up, look like in the LGBT community? So here's that. So in among LGBT adults, there's an estimated 1.5 million Protestants, 1.3 million Catholics, 131,000 Jews, 107,000 Mormons, 106 uh, Muslims, and an estimated 1.3 million religious LGBTQ adults. Uh, that belong to another Christian religion of sorts. So 425,000 identify with another Christian religion, 437,000 are atheist or agnostic. So sure, it seems that this ideology, this identification is on the rise. And I think I know at least one reason for that. There seems to be an overt attempt to redefine language. Now, this is specifically true within the Christian milieu. So in an NBC News article where its headline is that half of the LGBTQ community espouses religious views, it says this, quote, whether it's too late for churches and synagogues to attract gay parishioners remains to be seen. But if there's any hope, Kleinbaum said, quote, we have to go beyond tolerance. Now, here's the key. We need to say this is who God created and celebrate them. End quote. So the subtle trick here is now love means not only acceptance, but celebration. See the redefinition here? The word Christian is even under assault by the very claim that there can be such a category as a practicing gay Christian. Romans 1 should suffice as evidence for that, but something makes me think that the Bible won't matter because it doesn't hold value in, in communities like this. Why? Well, once again, the Bible is a book filled with words that definitely have definite meanings, and that can be threatening stuff for people who don't want to actually tell the truth. So you don't think I'm, I really care what people do in their bedrooms. I want to remind you of something. I'm saying this because we must care about words and definitions. They matter. They are the building blocks of a society. 
And while you may say, why do you care about what two consenting adults do? I'll say back to you, I don't until they do what they're, until they call what they're doing Christian. Then I care. And then I must speak because I care about Christianity and I care about the truth. I get this all the time and we really need, do we really need people sharing their opinions and talking all the time? We need more action and less talking. Dear friend, do you know that the ideas that we espouse are powerful and they are, have the power to shape culture? Therefore, we must fight for the correct understanding of things by speaking the truth as much as we possibly can. In so doing, we will shape a world that is built on truth. Now, if we don't, we relegate the world to those who wish to shape the world with their truth rather than the truth. And we'll see that today as we jump into our headlines. So a new press secretary is now in the White House, so I want to show you a quick clip of her introducing herself. Obviously acutely aware uh, that my presence at this podium uh, represents a few firsts. Uh, I am a black gay immigrant woman, the first of all three of those to hold this position. Representation does matter. You hear us, you hear us say this uh, often in this administration, and no one understands this better than President Biden. Now, I just have to be totally honest here. Why do we care of some, about some of what she just said? I mean, honestly, this would be like me taking a new job and saying, well, I'd just like to thank everybody for this job because I am a white male evangelical Christian and I think that that's amazing. Now, applaud. Um, I, I, it almost seems like this, that the reason that this is even worth mentioning for, for me, I don't know why it's worth mentioning for her, but um, the reason it's worth mentioning for me is that like, I think the reason Stranger Things is so popular is because the longer we live, the more we start to realize that the upside down world is actually the world that we live in. And so in, in all, I guess I'm saying that because in all normal circumstances to introduce yourself like this would sound like the most self-aggrandizing, self-serving and very self-important way of doing things. And here's just simply why. I don't mean to pick, I'm just saying simply this, that we don't care about what you do at night and who you do it with. Um, we, we, we really don't even care specifically about the color of your skin any more than you should care about the color of my skin. What we care about is whether or not you represent the truth. And so now that brings us to another issue here as we're hearing this press sec secretary talk about inflation and then replacement theory. So let's look at the, uh, the first question she gets from the deuce, Peter Ducey, as she is asked about inflation. The president's Twitter account posted the other day, you want to bring down inflation, let's make sure the wealthiest corporations pay their fair share. Mm -hmm. How does raising taxes on corporations reduce inflation? Um, so, are you talking about a specific tweet? He tweeted, you want to bring down inflation, let's make sure the wealthiest corporations pay their fair share. You know, we have talked about, um, we have talked about this this past year, uh, about um, making sure that the wealthiest among us are paying their fair share. Um, and that is important to do. And uh, that is something that, uh, you know, the president has been, you know, working on uh, every day when we talk about inflation and lowering costs. And so it's very important uh, that, uh, you know, as we're seeing costs rise, 
is uh, as we're talking about how to, you know, uh, you know, build a, a, a America that's safe, uh, that's equal for everyone and doesn't leave everyone behind. That is an important part uh, of that as well. Okay, so what we just saw in that clip is just something very simple that we see the inability to answer a straight question, right? So it hasn't absolutely nothing to do with what Peter Ducey just asked her in that moment. Um, but I think somehow, sadly, we've come, we've become used to this from press secretaries who absolutely refuse to answer the question that they were just asked. But that's not all that I think needs to be mentioned here too, because when asked about replacement theory, which of course is the theory right now that's being talked about um, as the motivating principle for this Buffalo shooter, um, the White House press secretary was asked this, and she gives us kind of the, the very politically correct response that the uh, Democrats are not willing to, to give us because right now they're trying to paint replacement theory as broadly as they possibly can to include anybody that has anything to say about immigration at all. So um, let me show you and I'll explain a little bit further. So here's her fielding a question about the Buffalo shooter and replacement theory and whether or not replacement theory and that Buffalo shooter is uh, if, if Fox News is responsible for that. I House believe these views are being amplified by Tucker Carlson. Look, you know, like I said, we are still figuring out the motivation of all of this uh, and we are very clear. Look. Um, you know, as you all know, watching what happened in Charlottesville was a major uh, factor in the president deciding to run, right, and back in uh, 2017. You know, many of those dark voices still exist today, and the president is, a, is, is determined, as he was back then, and he is determined today, to make sure that we fight back against those forces of hate and evil and, and, and uh, violence. So I don't have time to show you now, but what you can take my word on is that the mainstream media has been doing their best rendition of trying to redefine terms to make replacement theory anything that has ever been said on Fox News. Now, I'm no defender of Fox News because I don't, I don't watch it at all. I don't watch any of those mainstream channels, quite frankly, because I think they're, they're so full of misinformation that it's, that it's really hard to tell what, what is true. But the, but the one thing I can tell you is this, is that they're trying to redefine terms because the left is really, really good at this. Um, but, but wherever it happens, um, we need to be careful of this. So the idea is just simply this, is the press secretary knows better than to stand by the statements of MSNBC and CNN and all these other places who right now are redefining replacement theory to mean so much that it doesn't actually mean. And, uh, and these other news outlets are doing this because they wish to try to use their platform for some type of, I'm not even going to say political gain, but I think merely clickbait. If they can convince their audience that something exists that really doesn't exist and get them all worked up, then what they can actually do is gin up views for themselves, but they are definitely not interested in the truth. And this is why I bring this up is that the people who are interested in redefining terms are not just interested in accurate definitions or eloquence or articulation. What they're actually interested in doing is they're interested in manipulation. So this is why we have to be careful of redefined terms. It's what the show is all about today, is we have to be careful of those people who wish to say something but mean something drastically different. 
because there's an agenda behind that. And, and I want to show this a little bit more as we jump into our next story because Ron DeSantis is back in the news because he just signed a bill into law that restricts people from protesting outside of private residences. So Ron DeSantis signed a law banning protests outside of homes and called abortion protesters unruly mobs. So I want to read just a little bit of this story for you real quick so that you'll get the, uh, so that you'll get the gist. So Governor Ron DeSantis signed a bill Monday that prohibited protests outside of Florida resi residences. The law set to take effect in October will allow protesters to disperse or be arrested. DeSantis cited the recent abortion protests outside the homes of Supreme Court justices. So this is uh, Florida House Bill 1571, and essentially what DeSantis is doing here is saying, hey, there's a place to protest and a place not to protest. Um, so what, what DeSantis is saying is, is what so many on the left will not say, and certainly these people who are protesting right now outside of the houses of Supreme Court justices, and, and that is this, that you have rights, but you do not have the right to infringe upon the rights of others. Now, I'm going to show you a clip real quick that kind of is, was eye-opening to me, but this is a protester that was protesting in Chevy Chase, Maryland, outside of the house of, of Kavanaugh, I believe, but certainly outside of the house of, of Roberts, and this is what she said. You don't get to take away my bodily autonomy and enjoy your Saturday night at home. You can do one or the other. Okay, so in other words, you don't have the right to, an enjo to enjoy a, a Saturday night with your family unless I tell you you can and unless you do what I say. So this is obviously very, very troubling. And this bill seems to be nothing more than common sense, which is kind of the second point here, right, is that decency should demand that we act a little better than this protester does. And decency should demand that we agree with this, with this bill, but somehow I suspect that people won't. And I can't help but wonder if it doesn't signal that there is a decline in decency. Maybe as we step away from Christianity, I'm just suggesting, but there seems to be certainly a social and moral decay um, going on right now where people think that it is right and legitimate and that you have the right to, um, to step into a private residence and even be outside of a private residence and protest. So troubling, needless to say, there's a slippery slope argument here, right? Like, just because I'm mad at somebody, I get to go drag a mob of people over to their house whenever I want to and stand outside of their house and protest them? Like, clearly there should be some stop gaps here. I think, I hope we can unilaterally uh, agree with that. But you can rest assured that those who probably just don't like DeSantis are going to turn this into a political thing as quickly as possible. And they're going to turn this into another attempt to redefine language. But I, I bet you can't guess how, right? Of course, Ron DeSantis is the great violator of free speech. So this new law that he's signed in Florida is going to be called, I could just guarantee you, it's going to be called a violation of the First Amendment. In fact, it already has been. So according to the Black Collective, a South Florida social justice organization focused on the economic power of black communities issued a statement Monday calling the bill a follow-up to last year's anti-riot law and the violation of the First Amendment. The group, led by Francesca Menez, opposed the anti-picketing bill and others during this year's legislative session. And quote, the right to peaceful protest is a bedrock American principle that should never be undermined. 
So right there, we see that the idea that you should have the right under the First Amendment to be able to protest outside of people's house is nothing more than a dishonest attempt to try to grab a hold of a right that you should, should never have. Now, I would say, again, public decency should demand that we don't want that right, but the fact that we do want that right is not justification for that right. Because once again, your, your rights don't get to infringe upon the rights of other people. And I guess I, I'm diverging back to that second point about decency, but we're so interested in conversation about rights that we haven't, we haven't broached the conversation of what right is. You know, we talk about our rights, but we don't talk about what is right. We don't have conversations about good and evil and morality anymore. Is that simply because we no longer have a standard by which we can judge what is moral and good and, and right anymore? Just suggesting, don't know the answer to that. <laughs> Jesus. Um, did I mention the Bible? Uh, but uh, suffice to say, um, as we move further into demanding our rights and further away from looking into what is right, I think there's some room for some conversation and discussion about potentially the ways in which we view things. And I want to do that with our final headline today as we look at Dan Crenshaw going on Fox News and the words that Tucker Carlson had to say about him. So first I want to show you a very quick clip of Tucker Carlson talking about Dan Crenshaw. The more I think about it, it takes a lot of gall for Patch McCain to attack moms who worry about baby formula as, quote, pro-Russia. I mean, that's probably one of, that's one of the most outrageous things I think I've ever heard now that I'm thinking about it. I mean, why not just answer the question? Why, why the attacks? What does that tell you? Okay, so why am I showing you this clip of uh, Tucker Carlson calling Dan Crenshaw Patch McCain? Uh, it seems silly. It seems pointless. And you're like, what? Hang with me. Hang with me. Because... There's an important point I want to make. So let me just show you why Tucker Carlson is up in arms against Dan Crenshaw. So here's a clip of Dan Crenshaw talking about formula shortages and his desire to vote yes on a $40 billion bill that will supply funds to the Ukraine. So here's a clip also from Fox News with Dan Crenshaw. You voted yes. What was in the package specifically that made you say, you know what, I've got some questions, but I'm going to side with yes? It was pretty clear cut. You know, a quarter of the money was actually just for our military, uh, just to just to backfill our resources that we've expended. So the other three quarters was for Ukrainian military, and, and that's a mix of weapons and humanitarian aid. Um, there's pretty good oversight measures in it as well. And look, again, I understand the counter argument. It's a huge sticker shot, but there's some bad arguments, too. People are saying, well, we can't put baby formula on our shelves, but we're sending money to Ukrainians. And my response to that is, you know how much baby formula you can buy with $40 billion? None. None, because it's not a money issue. It's a manufacturing issue. And so we have to solve it with, frankly, letting the F telling the FDA to approve uh, safe baby formula and import it from Europe. You know, that, that'd be one solution. So let's not make disingenuous arguments here. Let, let's focus on the problem and let's Let's accept the fact that this is a big deal. It's a big deal when Russia has created the greatest land war in Europe since World War II. It's a big deal. It destabilizes the globe. And i got to say this last thing. It is not America first when you let Russia and China do whatever they want around the world and establish their version of a global order. Okay, so the reason I just showed you both of those clips is just simply this, is that people on Twitter and um, certainly 
as you can tell, Tucker Carlson, has been kind of leading a rally of people to oppose Dan Crenshaw. Um, and, and again, oppose Dan Crenshaw because, uh, I guess, a couple of things. One, he dared to vote for this $40 billion bill um, that, uh, that funded the Ukraine during this time of crisis. And he dared to say, um, it is disingenuous to argue about formula shortages and $40 billion going to the Ukraine right now because those two things have nothing to do with each other. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm gonna gently suggest something to you. I don't, I, I think two things can be true at the same time. I don't think Crenshaw should have signed that bill. And I think we actually should have some issues with $40 billion going to a for, foreign government in the midst of one of the most inflationary crises crises of uh, greatest inflationary crises of our time. I, ha I have a problem with that. But I also too see Dan's point. And I, and I guess what I'm saying is, is I hope you can too. I hope I do see Dan's point in, in relating the idea that like, hey, formula shortages is not a money issue. It's a material issue. And it's an issue with the government not like being aware of this and doing anything about it or taking it seriously. Um, $40 billion doesn't buy us more formula because that's not the issue. What the issue is, is we need to be importing that stuff from other places until we can get factories up and running and making it here. So it's a logistical thing more so than it is a monetary thing. So I do agree with him. One doesn't have, one thing doesn't have to do with the, with the other thing. But, but people have been attacking him for voting yes, but also attacking him for his rhetoric. And, and I guess what I'm trying to say is this, I'm cool with attacking uh, positions people disagree with. I don't so much like attacking people, I like attacking ideas. I think that's more substantive and more important. But my hope is, is that in the midst of this, that we can see that it's important for us to, to understand distinction and nuance. That, that we understand that we can be mad at Crenshaw for voting yes, but, but we shouldn't necessarily be mad for him for comparing outrage about formula uh, and this bill um, and, and saying that those, those two things really aren't congruent and they're disingenuous arguments. I, I guess what at the end of the day, what I'm, I'm just trying to say is this, is I hope through the emotion we can sort through the facts. Because I've talked about it too often on the show to need to talk about it again, but, but when we're emotional, we don't think clearly. And, and I can't help but wonder if there is not a segment of our society, those in political power, who wish us to be as emotional as possible so that we're not thinking clearly. But I also want to fight for this, for those who are on the right with me, is that we need to be able to effectively and as, as unemotionally as possible enter in and to engage these ideas. So we suffer from two things on, on the right. Either we totally blow things off as unimportant and we stick our head in the sand, or we get totally motivated by outrage and we don't think clearly about things. And I guess what I'm fighting for is a middle position there, is one, let's tune in. Let's realize before it's too late that we have a voice and that voice matters. And if it's not heard, other people will do speaking for you. And God forbid there ever be an eerie silence from the church, especially when they can be such a force for good. But also in the midst of that, if you're gonna speak as much as possible, and I myself am trying to do a little bit better. If we're gonna speak, make sure that we're speaking in an effective and intelligent way. That's not just pejorative and attacking people because they disagree with us. Let's make sure 
that we're actually making substantive arguments. And even if I make people mad at this, I do have to mention this one last thing. People are mad at Dan Crenshaw because he's supporting the Ukraine with this $40 billion bill. And there are people out there that are calling what is happening in the Ukraine a hoax. That is patently ridiculous. This is not a hoax. I've spoken to ministers and pastors out there, and at least I can tell you this. Uh, I know there's always more to the story than, than we often will ever know. But to call the Ukraine thing as a hoax is, is, is a spit in the face to the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who have been displaced in the Ukraine and had to flee their country, men, women, and children, uh, to get out of there because of what's happening there. So, so you can call it Ukraine hoax all day long, uh, but, but I, but I want to fight for those who, are, who are, are with me, who are on the right, and who care about issues and making sure that your voice is heard, that we make sure that we do it in an, in an effective manner. That's all. All right, let's jump into our final segment. So a couple of days ago, a 2,000-year-old city was found underneath a city in Turkey. And when I say a city, I mean a city, a city that could have held up to 60 to 70,000 people. It had a synagogue underneath the, the city, and this is all carved in, in stone, you know, from underneath in the ground. Um, so it had a, a synagogue there for persecuted Jews, and it had a church for persecuted Christians, and it had a place for them to, to live, uh, among other things. So I want to read a little bit of this Christian Post article to you about this fan, just fantastic and really interesting find. Researchers believe the site may have housed up to 70,000 people and was initially built as a hiding place or escape area more than 1,900 years ago. The underground complex was reportedly discovered during a local cleaning and conservation effort. It is believed to be possibly the largest such complex in the world, according to the Jerusalem Post. Researchers say only 3% of the site has been excavated, so it's still unknown how large the city may span. Historical artifacts and other decorations were also recovered from the complex, including Roman-era coins and oil lamps similar to those described in the Gospels, indicating the underground city may have been built as early as the second century, according to Tarkan. So I think this is really cool, but also I wanted to take just a brief opportunity to mention that these people built their church on the rock. And, well, okay, so yeah, just kind of a silly joke, but in all seriousness, like, I imagine that church that was built underneath that city, I mean, I think that church probably really rocked. All right, I, I know, I, I, I don't have any more puns, but, but I do just want to finally say, uh, in all seriousness, if you ever find yourself between a rock and a hard place, you might know that you're in the right place. Okay, dad jokes aside, um, the reason I wanted to bring this up is just for a simple reason. Uh, from this ancient civilization comes a long forgotten Christian idea. It's the idea that we are in the world, but not of the world. The early church knew well the importance of creating a culture within a culture. There was this idea that, that we were different, that we were distinct, and, and that the way that we thought could not afford to be the way that the world thought and, vi and vice versa. Now, it doesn't mean we're better than anybody, but it, but it doesn't mean that we have superior ideas, not because they're my ideas or a pastor's ideas or my pastor's ideas, as great as he can be, but rather because they're ideas that flow from the heart and the mind of God. We used to have that confidence as Christians. I hope we still do. I can't imagine that we would sit on the sidelines as much if we really felt like 
like we had those ideas in and flowing through our mouths and, and heads. So in a society that is constantly molding language to mean whatever they want it to mean, we have to be the ones to stand up and to say and declare a reality to a world that's slipping between the cracks. There's another pun for you. Last one, I promise. And part of that means building things that can help people escape the, the world and, and the dangers that are in it, even if those dangers are not physical dangers, but maybe they're just ideological dangers. I guess what I'm saying is this, is that I believe it's time for Christians to get serious about a parallel economy. I believe it's time for us to get serious about building things on our own, to, to build a city, as it were, on a hill, or maybe a city under the ground, whatever the case. But it's time for us to get serious about a parallel economy where we're building coffee shops, where we're building our own businesses, where we're actually creating media that, that isn't awful. You know, right now we, we say, oh, it's a Christian movie to excuse it so that you understand it was low budget, probably didn't have talented actors, and isn't going to be that good. So set your bar low so that you can actually say, oh, it wasn't that bad. That's what we mean when we say Christian movie, set the bar low. But it doesn't have to be that way. There was a time in which the church knew. Now, maybe this was out of necessity, and I mean this probably more metaphorically than literally. I don't think we need to build, you know, uh, bunkers underground so doomsday preppers just chill. We don't need to build bunkers underground to protect ourselves from the dangers of the world. But what I do think we need to do is we need to build our own culture, as it were. Here's what I would say. The religious right of the 80s resisted culture. They fought culture. And that paved the way for a new generation of Christians in the 90s and the 2000s and pretty much where we are today, where they said, well, we don't want to fight culture anymore because we alienate people. So what we're going to do instead is we're going to we're going to mimic culture. We're going to show them that we can be cool like you. And in, and in the process, what we've become is like the very uncool nerdy kid at the party that wants to be noticed by everybody that comes up to the crowd of popular kids and says, hey guys, what's going on? Can I hang with you? And of course, to that, the answer is always no, go away. You're annoying. Um, and, and so we've mimicked the culture and so we've worn the skinny jeans and we've got the Instagram accounts and we've done all these things to try to look as much like the culture as we possibly can. What I suggest is that we take a third step. And this is, by the way, um, found in a book by Andy Crouch. Um, and the third step is that we cultivate culture. We create our own culture. We realize that God created us with the ability um, to be creative and to create things that matter and create things that make a difference. So at the end of the day, I want to try to always end on a redemptive note. And I think, I think that's it, is that we're not called to just resist culture. And so that we're just like, no, those were the, what the pagans do. Um, we're not called just to mimic culture. See, I do what the pagans do. I'm cool just like you. But we're called to create our own culture, something dynamic, something great, something that can help people in, in, in a time of need that's really, really important. That's what we should be about. And that's what I hope IndieThinker is about. So I'm flipping things around a little bit today. I don't have a not today for you. I hope what I have is a yes, please, the sooner the better today. We need a group of Christians who are not falling for the talking points that we hear so often in society. We're, we're not falling for the idea that we have to change the definition of love. Or maybe even just to get practical with it, that we have to announce the pronouns that we're told to announce even though we know we don't believe it. Maybe I can go a little bit further and just say, we, we don't have to abide in the lie that you know you think it. So 
why are you castigating those who are actually saying something about it when you know deep down you feel the exact same way and you think the exact same thing? You're just afraid to say it. It's time for us to say today is the day where I'm going to start taking my faith seriously enough to build something that will impact lives and generations. Um, and then maybe we'll be discovered thousands and thousands of years from now, then turned around into a euphemism or a metaphor for talking about how Christians should be proactive in impacting the culture. If you were capable of building something that a podcaster in the future could talk about like me, then by God, you've done something amazing, friend. And so with that said, I just have to say, onward, Christian soldier. And if that's corny to you, well then let's move on from the corny creating Christian culture that we've got and let's move on into creating something unique and beautiful and wonderful. And so I'll leave you to it. Thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. We'll catch you next time. You can catch brand new episodes of Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman every Monday and weekly bonus episodes to keep you thinking throughout the week. But you have to subscribe and click the bell to be notified when new episodes drop. If you enjoy this content, make sure to like this video and share it with friends.